Like I said uh, five minutes ago, my name is Wes, so my name is still Wes. If we haven't met, uh, my name is, again, still Wes. I, uh, as I get started Pastor here West. today, yeah, hey, yeah, Pastor Wes to you. Uh, um, no, please, don't call me. Anytime, anytime I get mail that's addressed to Pastor Blackburn, it immediately goes in the trash, because I was like, you do not know me. Like, that is not, that is not good. Uh, my head is big enough without your help. Uh, thank you. So, anyway. Um, I do want to say, as we get started today, I have to say a special hi to uh, Camilla and Daniela, if they're watching. Uh, they are in Columbia right now, uh, taking care of a family member. So we now have a Columbia campus, uh, which is probably a little more festive, I'm going to guess, than our campus here in Tallahassee, and I'm sure uh, just as hot or hotter probably there than here. So Camilla and Danielle, we're glad you guys are watching all the way from Columbia. Columbia. That's, that's so I'm pra practically a native. So uh, anyway, um, I want to read to you as we get started today a couple of words. Uh, if you've uh, from the Bible, if you uh, went to church for a while, maybe you're familiar with some of these words. Um, we come to them every once in a while, uh, but they come from the Book of Romans, and uh, these are words written by one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. In fact, the guy who wrote these words, I would say, is probably other than Jesus, the most important person. Uh, to Christianity, which, yeah, that feels like, okay, that guy's pretty important then, right? So uh, here's what he wrote. We know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Uh, I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil. So like not just like that, but like the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Okay? Uh, now, if I do what I want to do, it is no longer I... I'm sorry. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And then he finishes up... By saying, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And in fact, a sentence or two later, this same guy writes, uh, what a wretched man I am. Um, now, these, like we're today, if you can't tell, we're talking about addiction today, right? And so uh, we're wrapping up the series of messages that we've been doing, um, you know, talking about mental health issues. If I'm really honest, guys, this is a message I've been really putting off because, like, I, again, I can't stress enough through all of these messages. I'm not a clinician. I'm not a clinically trained anything. Um, and so, like, I certainly, on something as serious as addiction, don't want to lead anyone astray or mess something up or, you know, whatever. Um, but I, can't con I must confess that the whole time as I've been thinking about, like, okay, so what, like, what's a good thing to talk about with regard to addiction? that those words from Romans keep popping through my mind. Because I would say to you, those feel to me to be the words of an addict, right? The good I want to do, I can't stop myself from doing it. I know it, like, no, nowhere in here is there a battle of like, oh man, you know, I think this might be a good idea, or I kind of want to do it. Like he's saying, no, I do not want to do it, but I cannot stop myself from doing the very things that I don't want to do, which I feel like, again, that's a struggle of addiction. That's a struggle um, for all of us. Here's my simple working definition of addiction that I want us to think about today. And Paul actually uses this word uh, in what we just read. 
Addiction is simply enslavement. Okay, he talks about I'm a slave to sin is one of the one of the phrases that Paul uses in that passage. Okay, addiction is simply enslavement to something. When when all of a sudden I cannot function in my life without the presence of this substance, this thing, this person, this experience, this whatever it may be, right? I've become a slave to that thing. I've become addicted. Now, again, that's probably not the clinical definition, right? But for our purposes here today, that's kind of how I want us to think about that, that our addictions are simply, hey, what is it that I find myself feeling enslaved to? What, what is it that I feel, find myself feeling just chained to? That kind of like Paul, I know I don't want to do it. I know it's not good for me. I know it's not helpful. I know whatever you want to say, right? But I just can't seem, for whatever reason, to get away from it. And here's maybe the most important thing I think to make this message hit home for all of us today. Um, this message will not work unless we begin to understand that all of us, all of us in this room, all of you watching online, all of you listening, all of you listening to this, you know, five years from now, you know, whatever, all of us are addicts. All of us are addicted to something, right? Um, addiction, you know, I don't know what the image is that you get in your mind when you think of addiction. You know, for me, I think of a family member that we have um, who struggled his whole life with addiction and sadly eventually died of congestive heart failure related to his addictions, you know? Um, maybe you think of like, I used to watch that TV show all the time, Intervention, you know? Maybe that's kind of like the, the image you have uh, when you think about addiction sometimes of how that kind of functions and how that works. Um, but I think the really important thing for us to understand is addiction isn't someone out there. I mean, it could be, right? But addiction is something that I struggle with right here. Because if I'm to understand, you know, take God at his word, then God's word reveals to us, hey, we are all slaves. We are all addicts to sin. And your sin might look different than mine. Some of our sins might be more dangerous. Some of our sins might be more harmful. Some of them might be more... You know, difficult to conceal. You know, I don't know what the story is, but like they may look different, but they are. We are addicts just the same, right? We we are we are struggling with it just the same. Addiction isn't just something that happens to people out there. If I'm really honest, it's something that I struggle with right here, because addiction isn't just alcohol. Addiction isn't just opioids. Addiction isn't just cocaine. Addiction isn't just pornography, right? We can be I'm addicted to shopping. We can become addicted to our media consumption. We can become addicted to cable news, right? We can become addicted to any number of things. We can become addicted to being a workaholic all the time. We can be addicted to getting the perfect body. And so I spend hours and hours at the gym and I'm addicted to like my latest food and nutrition plan and like, you know, working at, and it's the only thing I think about my whole life is spent trying to get this perfect look for Instagram or whatever it is, right? We can be addicted to, <laughs> we're great at creating addictions, right? We, we can look at just about anything and turn it somehow into an addiction that becomes enslaving to us. Now, um, I know that's a really hopeful note to start on here. So, we come by it honestly, okay? Here's one of the things that's kind of frightening to me in prepping this message, and maybe it's a good thing for us to think about beyond this message, is culture and corporations want us to be addicts, okay? I'm going to blow someone's mind here today. Um, I had a Netflix subscription plan back before autoplay was a feature, okay? So there was a time, and it's true, there was a time with Netflix where when the episode was over, it sent you back to the home screen like an animal. 
and you had to actually take your control and click to watch the next episode of whatever TV series you were watching. Again, like an animal, right? Like, this is a subhuman way to live, right? Now, it's like the credits have barely come on the screen, and you got, like, six milliseconds to, like, get that remote, or we're watching episode two of Married at First Sight, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, right? You know, And we're, like, just in it, right? We actually have a term for what happens when I spend an entire day watching Netflix, okay? Does anyone know what that term is? Binge-watching. Binge-watching. Binge right now, just think about that term, right? Binge watching, right? Like, hey, yeah, I binged this series. Or what? I binged Stranger Things season two. I, you know, like I binged The Office this whole weekend or whatever it was, right? Like, we actually, like, that's a term that we use, right? That used to be like actually like a clinical term that we would use for like people who are suffering with a deep, you know, deep eating disorder or problem or something like that, right? And like having to overcome that. And now we just kind of use our casual day-to-day thing, right, to talk about our media consumption habits. Like, I think that's kind of just a weird, uh, a weird transition that we've made, right, that kind of is revealing to what is happening to us kind of psychically and, and, and mentally, right, when we kind of partake in this. Um, I read this article this week, uh, it was from about four or five years ago, I think it was from Fast Company, and it was an interview with a guy named Reed Hastings. Reed Hastings is the CEO of Netflix, okay? In this article, I'm not making this up. This is from my mouth to God's ears what Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, said. You get a show or a movie you're really dying to watch, and you end up staying up late at night, so we actually compete with sleep, and we're winning. Okay? So just let's just think about this for a second. Doesn't that feel like kind of evil geniusy? That like the Netflix CEO is like, our competitors aren't Hulu, it's not Amazon Prime. And it's not, you know, whatever Apple's doing. Like, our chief competitor is your sleep habits, right? Like, that that just feels like, whoa, man, that feels like a little, little weird. But if you keep reading this article, he talks about, like, all the things that Netflix has done to basically make it so that you and I become addicts to Netflix all the time. Like, all these features, all these ways they kind of set up their platforms, all this kind of stuff are designed to make you spend as much time as possible on Netflix. Now, I don't want to pick on just Netflix, right? Like, Facebook does this, right? They spend billions of dollars every year to do this kind of thing. It's been really well publicized that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't allow his kids to use Facebook because he knows how addictive and bad for them it is, right? He knows, like, all the stuff that, you know, it's like, hey, this is, you don't want to get involved with this. You know, daddy can make his trillion billion dollars off of it, but you should not use this app, you know? That kind of thing, they do that. We, we've seen it in our news lately, right? In the past year or two, right? Pharmaceutical companies are getting canned because they're getting big time fines and thrown into jail because they hid the truth that they knew about drugs that they released where, hey, we knew this was addictive. We knew that people were gonna get addicted. They were gonna die. We knew this could probably cause something like the opioid crisis that we're living through right now. But you know what? We wanted to make a buck. So we just kind of hid that under, you know, we just kind of brushed over that and didn't want to pay attention to it, right? And, and again, like making a whole generation of addicts, right? We come by it honestly from corporations. We come by it honestly just like there's some things that our culture is going to cheer, right? Uh, being a workaholic, right? Your wife or kids aren't going to cheer that. But I'll bet your company, they'll say, oh, Tim is such a hard worker. You know, like they'll, they'll, you'll get all kinds of rewards. You might get a promotion. You might get a pay raise, all this kind of stuff, you know? But, like, they'll cheer it on. Some companies like Google, right, they've designed their whole office space to, like, 
make your life at work, right? Oh yeah, we'll take care of that dry cleaning. Oh, we have a gym here. So you can literally spend all of your day at work, just never having to go anywhere because you know, that's great for everyone, right? That's everyone's dream, right? Is to spend your whole life at work, right? But again, they're kind of trying to cultivate that addiction. Again, you know, hey, you could have an eating disorder, right? You could be addicted to kind of the way that you see your body and the way that you kind of act to create this certain type of body and people cheer it on. Oh, wow, that weight loss is so amazing or all oh, that whatever, right? And like they'll actually cheer on your, your addictive, destructive behavior, right? Like that can be a really, like it's kind of crazy how we set ourselves up for this, right? So when we kind of factor in, our predisposition to already sort of be this way, combined with people trying to make a buck off it, and just the way our culture works to kind of cheer on some things that maybe we actually shouldn't be cheering on so much, it's kind of easy to understand how we can walk into addiction. And again, it's easy to understand how addiction isn't just something for like, you know, oh, alcohol, oh, drugs, right? But addiction can be things that I partake in day to day that I think, this ain't hurting nobody. Amen. This ain't nothing, right? but that can still have a grip and a hold on my life. Amen. I want to clarify today, here today, like I feel like a lot of what I'm going to say is going to sound like the old school, like Southern Baptist pastor, like, so you should never watch television and ever for any reason, right? You know, or whatever, okay? And I, I don't want to be that person, okay? I, I enjoy a nice TV show as much as the next guy. I like to watch a movie as much as the next guy. Okay, my wife is smiling because she knows I like it actually more than the next guy, probably. I have a Facebook account, okay? Like, I, I, like I'm not, my, my thing is, the end result of this message is not gonna be, hey, so just be, bury yourself in a hole because like that's basically the only way to get through this, right? Just get away from anything enjoyable in life, just become a monk, you know, whatever, because I, that's not what I'm asking you to do today. But as I talk, I am going to probably sound a little extreme as I talk. And I want you to understand, I'm trying to sound extreme because kind of like when you go to the casino and everything's tilted for the house when mm -hmm. you play, okay? Everything in our culture is tilted to try and make you an addict so yeah. someone can make a buck or yeah. somehow benefit off of you, okay? And so what I'm trying to do here today is be at least one voice that's trying to be extreme the opposite way, Amen. hopefully Amen. to kind of like right-size us in our thinking about this, okay? Yes. I want to read uh, a couple of verses here today from Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23. Uh, Solomon is the guy who wrote Proverbs. He's regarded in the Bible as the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. Uh, he was Israel's greatest king. Um, and so Solomon wrote, you know, this book of Proverbs, basically trying to share his wisdom. And so he actually talks about addiction. And so I want to look at some of what he has to say. He says, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes, okay? He's talking about all this bad stuff. And then he tells us, let me tell you who. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample yes. bowls of mixed wine. Now, Solomon uses wine, because that was kind of like the thing you got addicted to back yes. in that day. But just allow wine, like just sub in for wine, whatever your thing is. Those who linger over the fifth episode of Stranger Things, right? Those who linger over that ninth purchase from Amazon, and it's on Prime, and I get free shipping, and like, and it's only like 20 bucks. I mean, what's the deal, right? Those who linger over the dollar section at Target, even though I don't need any of the crap that's in there, right? Because I got, I bought out the whole section last time I was there, you know, whatever it is. Those who, like, whatever it is you want to put in there, right? Solomon says, hey, let me tell you, 
that's not going to be fulfilling. If you linger with that, if you stay over that, that, that is not going to be fulfilling to you. And then he continues on in the next verse, and he says this in verse 31. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and when it goes down smoothly. And what he says right here is, guys, whatever it is that we find ourselves becoming chained to and enslaved to, of course it seems pleasurable at the start. Of course it seems harmless. Of course it seems no big deal, right? Of course it seems whatever. Like, we don't generally find ourselves addicted to things that don't hold for us some sort of pleasure, right? Like, I mean... Just think about this with like, no one ever smokes their first cigarette alone, right? No one, because everyone knows it tastes terrible, right? Like no one's ever smoked a cigarette and been like, man, this feels good, right? No one's ever drank their first, you know, bottle of beer alone, right? I remember the first time I drank a beer, I was like, this is awful. Like, how could, how does alcoholism exist? Like, this is, like, no one should drink this, right? Because the idea, again, is... Like, the pleasurable thing there might be, well, I want to fit in with someone else, or my friends were doing it, and I want to be like them, right? Like, the fitting in can can be not even the the thing itself. It can be the social dimension of of the crowd that we run in or something like that. And then Solomon continues on after saying, hey, of course it looks appealing to you in some way. And he says in verse 32, don't be fooled, because in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Hey, in the end, it's going to take a toll on you. In the end, it's going to have an effect on you, okay? Now, just kind of illustrate my point. This isn't just true for, like, the big stuff, okay? I don't think we have to be too smart to figure out, like, huh, I wonder how getting addicted to, you know, this this poisonous substance, right, can be bad for me, right? I think we can all see the, like, yeah, it's kind of obvious, But this is true with the innocuous things, too, right? This is true, again, I'm not trying to hate on TV, right? But, like, if I make the decision that every night when I come home, I'm going to watch just three or four hours of TV, and I'm going to zone out, and I'm not really going to talk to my wife, and I'm not really going to be with my kids, okay, hey, that's fine to do every once in a while, you know? Sometimes you've got a hard day at work, you just need to unplug. I get it, right? But if you do that for a month, if you do that for three months, if you do that for six months, if you do that for a year, if that just becomes your pattern of life, then that you're going to experience disconnection in your most important relationships. Okay, I've been doing this for 12 years. I've seen a lot of divorced people uh, walk in and out of churches I've been a pastor at. And most of the time, it didn't happen because of some big thing that went on in their lives. Usually what ended up happening is, hey, you know what? We just kind of drifted apart. And let me tell you what drifting apart looks like. It looks like this. Mm. Right? It just looks like me thumbing through my Facebook feed. I don't know if you've seen, like, there was this uh, series of pictures a few years ago where people, they just took pictures of, like, couples together, but they edited out their phones. Like, they photoshopped them out. So, like, you would literally just see someone looking at their hand. But it was kind of gripping and arresting when you see, like, these eight couples who are just, like, they're right in proximity with each other, but they're not even looking at each other. Yeah. They're just like looking at their hand, you know, right? And it was kind of this powerful reminder of like, wow, like this thing is dragging me away from other things, right? And again, I'm not telling you to go out and buy a flip phone. I'm not telling you to go like Jack Bauer and when you're driving away from church today, just like throw it out like there's a bomb inside of it or something like that, okay? Like you don't need to do that. But what I am telling you is, hey, let's be really aware. Even the stuff that seems like, well, this is a victimless crime. This is pretty harmless. This is whatever. I mean, yeah, to an extent. 
But make no mistake, right? It can still get a hold of me. It can still get a hold of my life. And it can still cause real repercussions Amen. if I'm not right. careful. Amen. Right? And we kind of lie to ourselves when we're getting you know, trapped in there, right? And then we wake up, you know, three, six, nine months later, right? And we realize, wow, <laughs> that actually had a really, really big effect. That even the stuff that we think is a victimless crime often isn't quite as victimless as I like to think. And often, uh, almost certainly, the victim is always me. Yes. Proverbs continues on. Solomon writes, uh, Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. I don't know if you guys remember the depression part of this series, but we talked about how when you're depressed, you start to believe some things that are out of sync with the truth. Okay? Addiction does the same thing. Amen. Right? It convinces us, oh, I just need to buy this one more item. Like, I just need to decorate my, my house with this one last perfect piece. Oh, I just need this, like, uh, if I can just get all A's this semester, then I'm going to be happy, right? Then I'm going to be fulfilled. Oh, I just need one more promotion at work, and I'll show mom that I'm really worth it, and I can achieve it, you know, or whatever it is, right? We start, we start to believe stuff we would never believe aside from the power of addiction at work in our lives. And then Solomon finishes up. He gives this kind of little picture of what addiction looks like. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. Uh, they hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? And I just think this is such yes. a perfect picture of a lot of times we get addicted not because of how it makes us feel, but because of how it allows us to not feel temporarily. Amen. Now, I've told you guys a story before. My friend David was a lifelong alcoholic. He became sober later on in life. Um, and David made a really profound statement one time when I was heard, heard him speak. He said, I didn't drink because of how it made me feel. I drank because of how it made me not feel. Amen. I think that's what happens a lot of times. We kind of slide into addiction as we slide into that. Now, I don't want to be all doom and gloom here, right? And in fact, I probably haven't told you a lot of stuff that we don't already know already about addiction. Um, but what I do want to kind of talk about is say, hey, hope is possible. Okay, yes. we started with this idea of how we are all addicts, okay? The central storyline of God's word to us is, I am addicted to sin. And that God has sent his son to free me and to free you Amen. and to free us from sin, okay? He is an expert at freeing people from what enslaves them. Mm -hmm. Jesus came so he could set us free from sin. Now, that's going to require effort. Unfortunately, God, listen, I've been taking this up with God for 34 years of my life. Unfortunately, he usually doesn't just zap us and change us as much Amen. as I wish he did. <laughs> but God is an expert at setting people free. Yeah. Freedom is a major storyline in the Bible, especially freedom from sin. God wants us to be free from what enslaves us. God desires yes. that for us. There is a power beyond us we can tap into. And I guess I'm saying that to say, hey, we don't have to be on our own in the midst of this. Amen. That hope is available. Okay, yes. And so I want to outline, again, I can't speak to the physical parts of this. I can't speak to the emotional parts of this, right? Mm. You'll need to talk to a professional at that about that. But I do want to speak to the spiritual parts of this and kind of mm. give you a spiritual action plan for, hey, if this is a struggle of mine, if this is a struggle for someone I love, how do I find my way out? What, what might that process look like? Okay, and so here's kind of what I've come up with. The first thing I want to challenge you to do is I want to encourage you 
um, to fast it, okay? Um, the reason I say this is because a lot of times, and I imagine this happening in this room right now. Yeah, Wes, I know we can all be there. Yeah, I kind of have like an online shopping thing I do. Yeah, I kind of have this pornography thing I do. Yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah, I should stop. Yeah, whatever, right? And we kind of tell ourselves that age-old lie of, oh, I can stop anytime I want. Oh, I'm good. Like, I, I'm in control. I don't need to worry about it, right? And here's why fasting is so important. Fasting reveals to me who really is in control. Amen. And so my challenge is, if, if there's that little voice in your mind the whole time I've been speaking that's wondering, I wonder if he's talking about blank, you know? Or if you have ever had a conversation with anyone and they said, hey, man, I think you've got a problem with blank, right? Let's just pretend they're right. I'm not even saying you have to tell them they're right. I'm not even saying you have to believe they're right. But let's just pretend they're right for a second. I dare you to fast it for seven days. And the reason I dare you to fast it for seven days is because I think in that seven days, you're going to discover who's really in charge here, right? Am I in charge of my online shopping habit or is my online shopping habit really in charge of me, right? Am I in charge of Facebook or is Facebook in charge of me? Is MSNBC in charge of me or am I in charge of it, right? You know, like, like whatever the thing is, right? Like, Seven days should be a pretty good barometer for how in charge of it. And if I find myself being like, oh, well, I mean, I, just, just a little taste, you know, like just, just a little, you know, just, just one or two or 20,000 Instagram stories, you know, like whatever it is, right? If I find myself either unable to say no to this or, hey, the whole week, I'm like, you know, just, I, I got to go, oh, man, I wonder what's happening on whatever, right? Like, that's a really good indication of who's in control, isn't it? Yep. And with that information, we are then equipped to start to make progress on step number two, which is I need to discard denial. We can't find healing until we admit that there is something we need healing from. Right? This is the first step in every 12-step program is we admitted that we were powerless against our addictions and our life had become unmanageable. Right? We aren't living in denial. And one of the things I think is really beautiful about like 12-step programs, I've gotten a chance to audit a meeting or two over the years, is if you want to go in a room where there's complete honesty and openness, you go to a 12-step meeting. Because these are people who are not in denial about their truth and, and kind of their condition, right? They're honest about it. And I respect that. I find that amazing. And the sooner that I can admit, hey, maybe this isn't just a little pastime. This isn't just a little habit. This isn't just some fun little, like, I actually have a real, like, addiction to this. You know? And whether that feels like a really huge thing or just kind of really mundane thing or somewhere in between, right? That's information that we should have. And that's information that I shouldn't live in denial of. God didn't set you free from sin so that I could hand the reins over to something or someone else again, right? Amen. And I understand that we do that. I've done that too, right? I'm not trying to criticize. I'm not trying to be mean or nasty, right? I'm just trying to say, hey, mm. like this is something that, that he wants us to experience. But denial is the first step of me acknowledging, mm. yes. you know, hey, I, I got something I need to deal with here. And then yes. from there, we can move on to step three, which is I want you to seek God. And that's such yes. a pastory answer, right? So I apologize because I know it sounds really, you know, oh, thanks a lot, Wes. That was really helpful. Good job, you know? But I say that to say, 
Scripture is littered with promises of, hey, you know what? There is a power spiritually available beyond ourselves yes. when we yield to Jesus, okay? Mm. Um, just a couple examples here. John 15.5, uh, Jesus says these words, words that we're all probably pretty familiar with. I'm the vine, you are the branches, yes. right? So the idea being we draw life from him, right? We are yielded or connected to him. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Hey, you've got the hope of producing something. Yeah. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm -hmm. Right? That image being, when I separate myself from the vine, I have separated myself from the life force I need to bear fruit. Yes. Romans 7, Paul, right? Those words we began with. Hey, I do what I don't want to do. I find I'm unable to say no to the evil that is always living inside of me. Okay? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body subject to death? And Paul says at the end, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he continues on into Romans chapter 8, which by any estimation is probably like the Bible's greatest kind of explanation of how Jesus sets us free from sin and the process by going about to receive that. You should read Romans 8 this week. It's very, you know, mm -hmm. super helpful for that, right? Yeah. But Paul is saying right there, Hey, on my own, I'm hopeless. My hope is a spiritual power that comes from beyond me through Christ. Okay? Third, third verse I want to share with you here. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Right? What he says yes. is, if you'll turn to me and you can do so confidently, right? You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be like you know, whatever, right? You can come confidently. If you will come before my throne of grace confidently, God says, I'm going to give my power and purpose and, and provision to help in your time of need. Now, here's why I want you to understand, though, and this will sound blasphemous, so give me a little bit of a leash here, okay? That's always good when the pastor's like, this will sound blasphemous, so I'll bring it back, okay? Um, God's power alone, in terms of just me and God, is not going to be enough. And the reason I say that is because of this fourth thing, which is I need to enlist the help of others. I need to get outside help, okay? The way that God often delivers his power and help and grace to us is not just a me and God magic experience. It is usually delivered to me through the community of others that surround me, okay? It usually is going to come from a source outside of me, okay? I have never heard a story of someone saying, yeah, I got clean all on my own. I've heard a lot of stories that said, I don't know how I could have done this without the help of God and my therapist and this program I checked myself into and my community group and this support group and this whatever, right? And my 12-step meeting and my whatever, right? Like the point being, all the stories I've heard of people overcoming addiction, they are never just a me and God story. They are almost always a story that's me, God, and God working through others to help me. A big part of asking God working through others to help me is me admitting to others, I got a problem, and I need some help. And from there, a whole world of possibility opens up to us, right? We open up now to the possibility of checking ourselves into that rehab program. We open ourselves up to, hey, you know what? I should probably look up a therapist or a counselor in our area who can kind of walk me through that and help me 
kind of figure out some of the factors that I would know to know to observe or, or be worried about or any of that stuff, right? Asking for help can mean, hey, you know what? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I said this about anger last week, but it's true about addiction too. Addiction, it lurks, it lurks in the recesses of our heart and it's lifting weights, man. But the thing with addiction is addiction can only lift weights in the dark. And the minute I open up Amen. about that, I've taken an enormous step oftentimes um, to be able to start the process of overcoming it, right? It goes back to that discarding denial thing. The fifth thing, I think it's super important for, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot this. Getting outside of health, Proverbs 13, 20. Good job, I only need to know my own sermon. Walk with the wise and become wise. Right, Solomon writes here, and, and he tells us something really valuable. Um, when we can't find and walk in wisdom on our own, when we can't find and walk in freedom on our own, that's going to happen. That, that happens to all of us sometimes. But he says, why don't you walk with wise people and allow their wisdom to rub off on you? Amen. Right? Why don't you allow the, the wisdom of others to kind of carry you up? I have a friend who says, hey, well, my internal structures aren't enough. I need external support until I can build the strength on my own to do what I need to do. And that's why God, I mean, that's why God, right, when we became followers of Jesus, he didn't just go, okay, okay, Bill. Good luck following Jesus on your own, right? No, that's why the church exists, right? Amen. To be a community of support for one another, right? Amen. It's that same idea at work here. Last thing. Now, now I promise last thing. If we want to find freedom from addiction, we need to remember that failure isn't final. Amen. Usually stories of recovery don't go, you know, like just straight up into the right. You know, there are bumps and bruises and turns and, and relapses and all kinds of stuff. And I wish it wasn't that way. I wish they're all just like, you know, one, one way up, you know, everything's great. But I mean, anyone who knows anyone who's struggling with addiction, you know, this is not, that, that's how it goes, right? And unfortunately, when we fail, when we fall, when we relapse, when we struggle, when we whatever, right, we think that that failure is final. We, we think that, oh man, now, like, it's even worse now, right, because I'm trying to get better and I can't. God tells us in Lamentations chapter 3, he says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yeah, right? And what God is saying to us right there is, hey, when you wake up this morning, no matter what happened yes. in between this morning and the last morning, we're good. Amen. Like, I'm not, today can be the day that things change. Because I'm not here worried about yesterday. I'm looking at today. I want to give you the mercy you need for today. I want to invite you out of yesterday and its failures into today Amen. and into its promise and into its grace. Your yesterday, yes. while it may affect your today, does not need to define your Amen. today. Amen. But you can find freedom and healing and yes. health and hope. Yes. And that is his promise. That is his word um, to us. Yeah. I think a lot of times our problem is when I think of God and like when I fall down, I think of God looking at me as like, oh man, you've done such a sucky job for falling down, right? When the reality is, God, like, this is one of the things I love about the Bible. When I open up scripture, God God does not have nearly as high a view of myself as I do, which sometimes can be humbling. But one of the good things that means is that when I fall, God doesn't go, wow, I'm so surprised, right? Like, God's like, yeah, I kind of saw that coming, right? I, I knew, 
I made you from dust. I know that in, in your in your heart, right, you're dust, right? I'm not expecting a whole lot out of dust, right? But what that means is God's attitude toward us when we fail is much like the attitude of a dad watching his kid learn to walk, you know? And like no 18-month-old or 12-month-old or however old your kid is. I don't know how old kids are when they walk. Are they, you're 18-year-old when they learn to walk, you know? Like when they fall, you know, no parent goes, wow, you suck at walking, kid. You know, like you need to get it together, you know? They say, no, no, good try, good try, right? And what does a parent do? They lift them up, right? Yeah. What I think is ironic is good parents, right, they aren't afraid to let their kid cheat a little. You know, they kind of use the, the armrest on the couch, you know, to kind of, like, help them up, you know, and walk them up. But like me at a skating rink, you know, I can't really skate, but I can hold on to the thing, you know, while I'm going around. Right? And so that's the way God kind of sees us, right? That, that he's not angry when we fall. Amen. He's just excited to help us get back up yes. and get trying once again.